0: Luke 15, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Word of God, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you something. If I told you, I needed to run to the store, would you understand what I was saying? If I told you I needed to run to the store because I had a run in my stocking, would you get that? If I told you that I needed a ride as I ran to the store because I have a run in my stocking because my car doesn't run, would you get that? Why do you understand that? I mean, we just use the word run three times in three totally different meanings. Why do you understand that? anybody context Context. you were in the first service weren't you oh yeah how about that (laughs) it's like somebody knew i was going to say that (laughs) context is king and and see this kind of rolls off our our minds when we're in everyday conversation but we don't always look at it when we're reading the bible so you know when biblical scholars get together, uh, th- this is a saying that they have. But it's not just an academic saying; it's the way we're supposed to read the Bible. I, I love the fact that the Bible's versified. Somewhere around the seventh or eighth century A.D., they put verse numbers on the Bibles. And and you know the problem with that is that every verse has its own peculiar address now. And I love when somebody puts up the verse of the day, but I hate it at the same time. Because that's a prime way to take something out of context. This is what it means to me. And so if we don't understand the context, we can't possibly understand a a verse or a passage. So we have to understand how the verse fits in the paragraph, how the paragraph fits in the chapter, how that chapter fits in the book, and how that book fits in the overall biblical narrative. So context is king. It means everything. If we don't do the context, if we don't read before and after and try and get a fix on what the author is trying to tell us here, it is very easy to misinterpret. Now, I'm going to show you how that works in today's sermon. Today's sermon is called the parable of the lost sheep and coin, and this is part of our ongoing series, intermittent series, called Stories That Changed the World. So we'll look at the sheep and coin today. Next week, we'll look at the prodigal. All three of these parables have three themes, three links that they share in common. There's something lost, something found, and then there is rejoicing afterwards. So let's just talk about the context of these parables for just a second. Again, as we look at chapter 15 of Luke, it would be easy to think that somehow chapter 15 is separate from chapter 14, but in the original text, that wasn't how it was. So in in what we know is chapter 14, Jesus is beginning to talk to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple and what the cost of being a disciple is. He kind of lays all this out. There's an uncompromising demand of wholeheartedness and commitment involved in being a disciple of Jesus Christ and and, uh, how they were supposed to walk out. And he finished that teaching out with this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Luke's very next words in 15 chapter 1 tell us that the sinners that he was talking to heard what he said. It said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, whatever's going on with the Pharisees, because Jesus turns to the Pharisees, uh, they're going to say something, whatever's going on with them, the sinners these tax collectors, had been challenged. They had been intrigued. Their hearts had been pricked about something. And now they're leaning in. They're moving in closer. They want to hear the rest of what Jesus has to say. Now, they knew what discipleship meant. He explained to them what following him meant. And now they're called upon to hear, and they're listening. So, in verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, They complain about this. Jesus Christ is talking about being in the kingdom of God and and expounding on the word. And these guys are grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees don't like what's happening. And even, even as they say that, we should begin to ask ourselves, who are these sinners that he's talking about? And what does it mean that he receives them and eats with them. Now, the answer is that they are people outside the family of God. And here's how the Jews understood sinners. And you can substitute the word Gentiles in here. Two groups of people back in that time, as far as the Hebrews were concerned, there were Hebrews and non-Hebrews. There were Hebrews and the people in the rest of the world. If you wanted to become a Hebrew, you had to come into the faith You had to make yourself, you have to go through the the rituals, the mikvah, the the baptism, the whole thing, uh, and become like a Jew if you wanted to be, have a relationship with God. So here's what the Midrash says. The Midrash is a Jewish commentary on the New Testament uh, regarding sinners. One must not associate with an ungodly man. And it goes on to say that this is so serious that the rabbis would not associate with a person like this to the point that they would not share the law. They would not teach the law to them. Now, we know this is true because it comes up in Acts when Peter goes to visit Cornelius. He walks into Cornelius' house. He's surrounded by Gentiles. And Peter says this in Acts ten twenty-eight: You yourselves, talking to this group, know how unlawful it is For a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. That means all other nations other than Israel. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter is upsetting the apple cart. He's saying, you think that you're not supposed to associate with these people. God is telling me to go to these people. And Jesus is setting the stage for that right here in Luke 15. So, eating with these people was regarded as worse than just associating. Sitting down and having a meal with them, as far as the Jews was concerned, was an acknowledgement of them, a recognition, an affirmation of them. And the Pharisees are actually saying, this man, Jesus, because he's eating with these sinners, is contemptuous. Doesn't he know that these sinners are unworthy of God's blessing. Now there's, there's the context for these parables. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's going he's to pose questions to them. And the questions he's going to pose is going to cause them, hopefully, to examine their hearts. And what he wants to know is, why are you Pharisees not looking at these sinners the same way I am? Really, he's saying, what's wrong with you? Jesus sees value in these people. He has come to reach out to them. He said, The physician goes to one who is sick, not one who is well. I mean, Jesus is already in the middle of this tension of the Pharisees who believe that they're righteous, who believe that they don't need to have these blessings coming to them because they already have a franchise on God. So they look down on the other people as being unrighteous, being unworthy of God's attention. Jesus is saying, I've come to minister to these people. Pharisees don't want to be contaminated by them. So Jesus gives them these three parables. And each one of the parables condemns the Pharisees for their attitude worse than the one before. Each one has these three links that tie them together. So let's look at the parable of the lost sheep and see our first link, something lost. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, so there's the lost, it's a lost sheep. Shepherds counting his sheep, thinks there should be a hundred, comes up with 99. And you know, one of the characteristics of the, all three parables is that all of the primary characters that are looking for something are relatively modest people. They're not grand. They're not charismatic. They're, you know, the average flock of a of uh, a sheep that a, a shepherd might have would be somewhere between 20 and 200 so this guy's right in the middle of it Uh, if you were rich you might have significantly more than 200 so this guy's one short and and uh you see at this point one of the traditional teachings in this passage is to define this flock as the church define this this flock as the congregation so the shepherd is supposed to be the pastor The pastor sees that somebody's not there and so he's going to leave the congregation and go find that person. But I believe that that interpretation of this passage denies the context because Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and their attitude towards sinners. So the sheep here is meant to depict something that seems to have little value. I mean, all the value for the shepherd is in the 99 sheep that are the good sheep that aren't wandering around somewhere. So our theoretical shepherd does something surprising. He leaves a flock. For me, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, here's our our found link. And again, notice Jesus is asking a question. He's talking to the Pharisees saying, do do you even care about these lost sheep? Are they on your mind? Are they on your radar screen? You are leaders. You are shepherds. You have a calling. What is their calling? Well, their calling is the Abrahamic calling. Abraham was called to multiply into a mighty nation and bless the entire world. Their calling is the same thing. They've been given the word of God. They've been given the temple. They've been given this charge. They're God's chosen people to take his word to the rest of the world. Jesus is saying your calling is to bless the world. The world that you're sent to. Yet you disdain them. You think you're more righteous than them. You think you're above them. Will you go out and get them? Will you get everyone that you can? Will you find those that are lost this shepherd in the parable goes out and finds the lost sheep and that takes us to the rejoice part and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders now there's a, a a picture of compassion a picture of mercy a picture of tenderness a picture of reaching out a picture of forgiveness and grace he's not beating the sheep because he wasn't with everybody else he's out there trying to bring him home he's doing everything he can to get him to the flock and when he comes home so so when he comes home uh, he puts him on his shoulders he's rejoicing and when he comes home it becomes a community event the whole body comes together the whole village comes together and celebrates because this sheep that was lost is now found A great story, isn't it? But the rejoicing of this shepherd and his closed community is no match for what happens in heaven. And here's the key to what's, what's going on. Just in verse 7, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I think the Pharisees are probably beginning to get a hint of what's going on here. But this is the key to everything. Heaven rejoices when a sinner, sinner repents. Heaven does not rejoice over those who think they don't need to repent. See, that's the Pharisees. Heaven doesn't celebrate over people who think they're righteous already and have no need for forgiveness. Jesus is drawing a contrast here. And what he's telling them in the Pharisees is that heaven rejoices over all those outcasts and contemptuous people that repent more than heaven rejoices over them. Now that would be offensive to the Pharisees. They're God's chosen people. They have the word of God. Telling them that those people that you believe that are worthless and contemptuous are the very ones that you have been commissioned to minister to. They're the ones you are sent to. You've got the word of God, and you're self-righteously keeping it to yourself. Hmm. Listen carefully. Jesus is not talking about chasing down somebody that hasn't come to church for three weeks. You know, I've done that before. I'm going to say, Scott, I haven't seen you for four or five weeks. You know, I did that with one guy. He said, I know that. (laughs) I thought I was telling him something new. And I thought if I said it forcefully enough, maybe he'd feel guilty enough that he'd come back. Not what this parable is about. The parable is about Pharisees and the way they looked at people that are not Pharisees. It's talking about the Sanhedrin's neglect to go out and get the lost, to find them, and to treat them tenderly, to put them around their necks like a lost sheep, and bring them into the family of God heaven rejoices when one who is lost is found and that's the same lesson we see in the parable of the coin all the elements are there Uh, verse 8 oh what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin the lost does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it and when she has found it found she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice rejoice with me for i found the coin that i had lost and the capper comes again with this statement, and if we don't look at this statement carefully, we're going to miss it. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, Jesus is talking about previously unrepentant sinners. People who were not part of the family of God, who repent and become members of the family. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, the shepherd owned the sheep to begin with. The woman had the coin to begin with. It's just another one of the flock, just another one of the coins. Again, in order to think like that, you you have to deny the context. So, So how does that make sense? Well, we're talking about people. Listen very carefully. We're talking about people that were created by God. And you know who that is? Everybody. God owns everybody. He has formed us in the womb. He has seen our unformed substance. We belong to him. And whether or not someone believes that or not does not change the truth that we belong to him. And one day we will answer to him. So when we go to bring the lost back to the flock we're out there evangelizing the lost to bring them back to their father back to the one who created them there's a bigger picture here than than just the local church God formed all of us and it's just that some people get lost and they get lost in their sin. And God and all of heaven rejoices when they're found. There's a celebration. There's not a big celebration in heaven when you have missed church for four weeks and you come back. And the way, the way that they're found is that someone goes out To get them. Someone goes out and shares the word of God. Someone proclaims the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves on their heart and brings them into the fold. That's how it works. We can't ignore the context of the parables. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about the Pharisees, about their self-righteousness, and about their unwillingness to reach out to the lost. Context is king. It's not just a theological, academic exercise. It's a rule of thumb in reading the Bible. It's a way to understand what we're reading. It's a way to avoid missing the point. What do these parables mean to us? You know, we don't come together on Sunday mornings to edify ourselves. Yes, there there are very, very specific reasons we come here on Sunday morning. It's an expression of unity. Some of us come to get healed. Some of us are hurting. We need to be part of the community. Those are all good things. We come to worship. We come to put our focus on God. We come to hear the word. We come to grow. We come to be nourished. We come to be strengthened. But what happens here on Sunday morning, brothers and sisters, is not about us. We don't have a franchise on God. We come here to come together as a corporate body so that when we walk out that door, we can be exemplars of the gospel so that we can share the change that we're going through with the people that need to be changed. We come here on Sunday morning so that we can go to the lost. And we are never to be so self-righteous that we think that those people out there that look different than us, that sound different than us, that maybe dress different or smell different than us, are not worthy of the word of God, are not worthy of his grace. It's a mistake that the Pharisees made. They closed everything up. When Jesus goes in to clean the temple and he upsets all the money changers, I've told you before, this is not about selling cupcakes down in Fellowship Hall. It was in the quarter of the Gentiles. So when Jesus makes his proclamation, he says, you've turned uh, my father's house into a den of thieves. Did I not tell you that my father's house is a place of prayer for all nations? It was a quarter of the Gentiles where the Gentiles were supposed to come in and hear the word of God. The Pharisees had rented it out to vendors. No room for the lost. It's not what the church is here for. The only reason the church is here is for the gospel. Now, look, look, all of us are not going to be out there on the street corner sharing the gospel. We get that. But all of us have a part in sending that tip of the spear out there. When the elders went down to the shelter this week, you know, the shelter had a fire in their kitchen. They're in bad shape. Uh, I praise God that the first phone call they made was to Laura Skelton because we have developed a relationship with them that they felt comfortable calling us at the last minute, saying we need food, we're we're in trouble. And I praise God that this congregation responded. We had people making making uh, lasagna, we had people making salad. There was people who brought bread along and drinks and so on and so forth. And the elders, as we as we went down there, and we were able to sit down and talk with Michelle and with Edgar and Patricia and with John, and with Paul, and a number of other people, we were the tip of the spear right there, but it took all of us to be working together to be able to do that. It's taken all of us working together to be able to forge a relationship with the shelter that allows them to call us and say, can you bring us dinner in about two hours? That's why we come together. We come together because there are people out there that need to hear the word of God. There are people out there that when they hear the word of God, brothers and sisters, they will repent and heaven will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the full counsel of your word, Father. We pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to search out the context and the text father and apply it to our lives in a manner worthy of our calling father uh, the gospel that you've laid upon our hearts we pray father by the presence and power of your holy spirit that we work together to be worthy examples of that gospel in jesus name amen